Acts chapter 9 this morning as we conclude our Call of God series, looking at the call of Paul. Acts chapter 9. This conversion of Paul is so significant that it's actually recorded three different times in the Scriptures. And by the way, just to sort of maybe settle something in your own hearts and minds, Paul was not the name given to Paul after his conversion. It wasn't like Peter, where like Peter came to know the Lord and the Lord gave him a new name, you know. Simon, you're going to be now called Peter. No. Saul and Paul were always Saul and Paul's names. You see, in that culture, most people actually carried two names. They carried, if they were Jewish, they carried a Jewish name, which would have been Saul, and they carried a Gentile name, which would have been Paul, that they would have used in the Roman Empire. So he was always Saul and Paul. I came to know him as a Christian more as Paul than as Saul, but it's not incorrect to call him either one. Now, for the sake of the message today, we're just going to stick with Paul, because that's what most of us know him as, although as Saul, he was probably named by his parents after the first king of Israel, King Saul. Paul, the conversion of Paul. I want to start, before we get to talking about the call that God had for Paul, I want us to see that in Paul's conversion, we see a change. And I know I'm sort of getting a little ahead of myself here, but we see a change in Paul. Let's be reminded about who Paul was. Look at verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing out threats to murder the Lord's disciples. Let's not go by that. (laughs) Paul himself said out of his own mouth after he was converted to the Lord that he was responsible to throw many, many, many Christians in jail and was responsible for the death of many Christians. Don't ever forget that. In fact, in verse 2, it says he was requesting letters of extradition from the high priest that he could go to the other parts of the Roman Empire and basically bring as many Christians back as he could so that they could either be jailed or put to death. And yet, if you look over in verse 21 of chapter 9, after his conversion, and I realize I'm sort of being repetitious, but I'm doing it for a point of emphasis because to be converted is to change, that we see in Paul's conversion a change. Notice verse 21, all who heard him were amazed and were saying, is this not the man who in Jerusalem was ravaging those who call on this name and who had come here to bring them as prisoners to the chief priests? Is this the same guy? Yeah, yeah. What does this tell us? it tells us a couple things about our God. First of all, it tells us that no matter what our past, no matter how extensive our sin, no matter how much of us, in a sense, an enemy we have been to God, God's love and grace goes way beyond all that. And that no matter what our past looks like, it never thwarts the purpose that God has for us as his people. 
God overrode the past of Paul, and he brought him to himself. And what does that also tell us about our God? That he has the power to be able to transform lives and to take a life like Paul, who was in a sense the first lieutenant of Satan, because he was being used by Satan maybe more than any other person on earth at that time to attack the body of Christ, and God reached out and saved him and redeemed him and changed him and made him become his first lieutenant in the heavenly kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's the kind of power that God has. And I want to encourage you with that, first of all, maybe for yourself, so that you do not allow your past or even maybe some of the things that have a grip or hold on you now to discourage you. God has the power to override and overrule all of that if you and I will simply trust him and place our lives into his hands. And nothing that we have done can thwart what God's call and plan and purpose is for us if we turn to the Lord like Paul did on the road to Damascus. There was a dramatic change that happened to Paul. I also hope this will encourage you as you maybe continue to pray for those that you know who've not yet come to know the Lord yet. Because if God can save Paul, God can save anybody, okay? I mean, that's just the bottom line. If, if, you, if you believe that somehow there's somebody out there, or maybe even you're here today and you yourself feel like you are beyond the love and grace and redemption of God, oh, my friend, read the conversion of Paul. And, and remind yourself of who he was before he came to know the Lord on that road to Damascus. Because there was no one who was more of an enemy of God and of the body of Christ than Paul was. And God saved Paul. And if God can save Paul, he can save us. He can save anybody. He can transform and change lives because that's the kind of God that he is. And he will never stop running and pursuing after us. That's how much he loves us. We may go out into eternity without God, but we will never go out into eternity without being loved by God, a change. In the conversion of Paul, we see a change. But that change was brought about by a consciousness that Paul received on the road to Damascus, a consciousness that was brought about by a confrontation with Jesus himself. Look at it with me in verse 3. As he was going along, approaching Damascus, suddenly, and don't miss that word, there are many times where God comes into a life very unexpectedly and without warning. Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. A couple things. God knows how to get our undivided attention at any point. 
God is very capable of getting our attention. That's not the issue. And God will bring about that attention and that confrontation if he has to because he wants us to be very clear about who he is and how he feels about us. Now, again, can we reject that? Absolutely. Can we bypass that? Absolutely. We can dismiss it. We can explain it away. We can keep on going our own, own way. But there will be times in our life, even as a believer, in dealing with following God and maybe even, you know, coming to, to surrender to the call that God has on our life, where God will grab our attention with something. Maybe it's a circumstance in our life, a circumstance in somebody's life, but God will get our full attention, in a sense, have our faith between his very loving hands. And look us eyeball to eyeball, if you will, because he wants to do some business with us just as he did Paul while he was on the road to Damascus. God stopped Paul dead in his tracks. Paul became very overwhelmed and humbled. And he hears this voice from heaven speaking his name. And we've seen this throughout our Call of God series. Moses, Moses, Samuel, Samuel, and here, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And the repetition of his name not only speaks of the intensity of God's heart towards this man, but he's reminding this man that to persecute my church, to persecute my people, my body, is to assault me because we're one and the same. It reminds us that how we treat each other and how we treat God's church and the body of Christ is also how we treat Jesus. Because Jesus identifies himself with his people, just as he does here. Now Saul has not yet learned to recognize the Lord's voice. So when he hears Saul, Saul, he says, well, who are you, Lord? He understands that one much greater than himself is speaking to him from heaven, but he doesn't know him yet by name. And that's where God is willing to have this confrontation with Paul on the road to Damascus because he wants him to come not only to a change that's going to come, but first of all, before that change can take place, he's got to come to a consciousness of who Jesus is. And Jesus said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I want you to take just a few seconds and imagine, if, if you and I can, what is going through Paul's heart and mind when he hears that. Because before this, Paul would have said that Jesus that was here on earth for a while and was crucified, he was rightfully put to death because he was a blasphemer, because he claimed to be God and he's not God. And that's one of the reasons why I'm spending my whole life throwing all of those heretics who believe in Jesus in jail and have them put to death. And now this Jesus is speaking to him from heaven saying, I'm the Lord that called you by name. Paul is realizing that everything he knew about Jesus and thought about Jesus was wrong. And the reason I bring that up is 
If you're here without the Lord Jesus and you never come to place your heart into his hands and trust him as your savior, you will go out into eternity one day and you will experience much the same thing that Paul experienced at this point. Just like every other person that goes out into eternity without Jesus Christ. You will just at that first moment after you and I die, you will go, oh my goodness, everything I thought about Jesus or didn't think about Jesus was wrong. He really is the Lord. He really is the Son of God. He really is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He really is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He really does have life and death under his authority. He is everything that I ever denied while I was here on earth. There will be that moment of realization and recognition of who Jesus is. And the Bible even says there will come a day at some point in the history to come of this universe that every knee will bow, every knee, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, a consciousness. And Paul now has to understand who Jesus is because before he and any of us can truly fulfill our calling in life, we have to come to an understanding, a comprehension of who Jesus really is. And it's not just that, oh yeah, he's the son of God. Because you and I need to continue to have a growing consciousness of who Jesus is in order to fulfill our calling even as Christians, even to live our Christian life every day. We have to have, in a sense, a, a renewing of a consciousness of who Jesus is and remind ourselves that he is the Lord of glory who sits and rules and reigns on the universe over it right now and will for all time. We've got to have that consciousness or else we can, we can tend to get trapped by all the other lesser things in the world and not really go after Jesus and pursuing him. Isn't that what Paul said? He said, this one thing I do, I, I, I just want to know Jesus Christ more and more, and I want to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. He gave up everything in his life after he came to truly understand and have a consciousness of who Jesus is. There are some Christians that have been saved for many years that don't have that clarity of a consciousness of who Jesus is. Because when Paul did have that consciousness, he left everything behind and all it was for the rest of his life was full speed ahead with Jesus. We need to have that consciousness. Notice that consciousness comes out in verse 20 when it says immediately after he became a Christian and understood who Jesus really was, he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying, this man is the son of God. Can I tell you, one of the words that I locked in on was the word immediately. You know why? Because there's so many Christians today, they don't witness for God, they don't testify about God because they think they have to have, you know, so much theological education and, and so much understanding of the Bible. And I'm not saying that that's bad, that that's all going to be part of our Christian growth and stuff. But you know what's really necessary in order to be an effective witness? Just having a consciousness and clarity of who Jesus is. 
And every person who's ever come to know the Lord Jesus as their Savior, you know who Jesus is. He is the Son of God who died for you and for me on that cross and demonstrated his love for each of us when he did that. And that's all we need to tell somebody in order for them to come to know Jesus too. This man is the Son of God. He immediately began to proclaim Jesus. That's all God wants us to do is to lift up the name of Jesus, because there is no other name under heaven that is given among men whereby we must be saved in the name of Jesus Christ. And there's something about that name of Jesus. And if God is working on a person, it, we don't need to necessarily have all the answers to all their questions and, and have all this biblical knowledge that may come to us as we grow in our understanding of the Bible and stuff as we walk with God. But sometimes all people just need to know is who Jesus is. And that's really all we need to know in order to be saved. Who is Jesus to us? Amen. Who's Jesus? I am Jesus. And then he tells Paul, but stand, verse 6, and enter that city and you'll be told what you must do. Step by step, Jesus was preparing already now Saul for his calling. A calling that started with a consciousness, a consciousness that came through a confrontation that he had with Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. And after that consciousness, a great change took place. God took this man who was chief persecutor of his people, of the church, and of even Jesus Christ himself, and he made him now his first lieutenant in the kingdom army. That's the kind of power and transformation God can bring about in our life. But I also want you to see this. Surrounding the call of Paul is not only this consciousness and this change. There's a connection that's happening. In fact, there's a couple connections that's happening. And God does the very same thing in our life. And that's why I want to talk about it for a few minutes today. Because there will always be a couple key connections that God has as he points us to his calling, and as we live our lives fulfilling that calling in our life. The first thing is, notice how humbled Paul is when it says in verse 8, he got up from the ground, he could not see anything, he had to be led by others, he had to be brought to Damascus himself. Here's the guy that was running around the world, throwing people in jail and you know, having Christians killed, and now he can't even see to be able to get anywhere by himself. God is bringing this man down before he lifts him back up, which is what God does to all of us. We have to be willing to humble ourselves before the Lord, and when we do that, he will exalt us in due time. But notice verse 9. For three days he could not see, and he neither ate nor drank anything. What was he doing for those three days? Well, notice at the end of verse 11, God tells this man Ananias that we're going to meet in just a moment. Saul's been praying, and literally it means he's been face to face with me. The first connection that you and I need to establish after we come to a consciousness of who Jesus really is and we continue to grow in that consciousness is we need to learn to shut out the world and get alone with God. Shut out the world and get alone with God. 
because the one connection that's going to be most essential in our life is the connection that you and I as individual believers have with our God. And we've got to learn to remove the distractions and shut out the world and get alone with God. And in this world today, I think maybe one of the biggest and greatest challenges that you and I as Christians face because of the bombardment of messages that's you know, being bombarded into our lives every day from every direction and all this technology and all of this is to prioritize to shut out the world for a few minutes and get alone with God. Let me ask you this morning, and I don't want, you know, obviously an answer. I just want you to think, how's that going for you lately? Are, are, you, are you able and are you, are you, you know, making it a point to shut out the world and get alone with God. I'll just tell you, and I'm not saying that this is the answer for all of you, but I'm just telling you, one of the things that I determined to do many, many years ago, many, many years ago, is I don't do the social media thing. You, you don't find me out there, right? Because I'm not out there. I'm not out there. If I was out there rather than spending time with God, I would not be the pastor that God's called me to be for you. And I would not be putting myself in a good place with God if I don't learn to shut out the world primarily and get along with him. We all need to do it, folks. It's an absolute essential connection that we have with God. And even if it's just a little bit of time every day, you and I need to learn to shut out the world and get alone with God. But that's not the only connection. Notice verse 10, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord now says to him in a vision, Ananias, and he replies, here I am, Lord. I love that. We've seen that phrase throughout our Call of God series, too. God sought Ananias not because of his ability, but because of his availability. Are we there yet? Are we making ourselves available to God as we hear God's voice? We just say, here I am, God. What do you want? What assignment? What mission? What do you have for me today, God? That was Ananias. Then the Lord told him, get up and go to the street called Straight, and at Judas's house, look for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Now, by the way, this Judas is not the Judas of the disciples, an infamous Judas. He's already passed off the scene many years ago. Judas was a very common name in Bible times. This is another Christian, and this Christian has opened up his home to Paul, the one who's now newly converted. And now God is telling Ananias, I want you to go over to this other, your fellow Christian's house, Judas, where Paul is staying for a little while, and I want you to go to him, for he's praying. Notice verse 12, God goes on to say, he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias, that's you, come in and place his hands on him so that he may see again. Notice what's happening here. God is now calling upon his own body, the body of Christ, to immediately envelop and rally around Saul, Paul. So that Paul's not out there trying to do this on his own or feel like he is alone. That's what God does with us today. 
he not only will call us, but he will begin then to connect us with certain people. And sometimes it's for a short term or a season, and other times it's for the long haul. It's for maybe many, many years that God will make these connections. But God is going to connect us first to himself and then to a few strategic people in our lives because our callings may intertwine or intersect with one another. And it's so important that we recognize when God is calling us alongside of other Christians so that we can be a mutual support and encouragement to each other as we pursue our callings of God. Notice also, when God is in something, God works on both ends of the equation. Notice God didn't just work on Paul to bring Paul to Ananias, but God also worked on Ananias to bring him to Paul. That's what God still does. If he wants you and I to be connected with certain people, it won't be just one-sided where we feel pulled towards that person, but that person does not feel any pull at all towards getting connected to us. It will be both. Both will feel drawn to one another because it's God who's doing it. And God works on both ends. So Ananias, very naturally, even though he's a committed saint of God and servant of God, he says, and I'd probably be right there with him if you ask me. And I'm just going to paraphrase. Ananias is basically saying to God, do you not know who this guy is? As if God needs informed, right? Do you, you want me to go lay hands on who? I mean, immediately, I'm sure Ananias is thinking, that's a death sentence because that guy's hunting Christians. And now I'm just going to waltz right in and go, here I am, I'm a Christian. But when God's call is on our life and God is working, again, God stretches us. And God is going to ask us to do things that's maybe out of our comfort zone at a time because he wants us to learn to trust him. So he says, God, after Ananias puts up a little resistance, verse 15, the Lord said, go. He doesn't necessarily answer all of Ananias's, you know, he doesn't do all that. He just simply says again, go. Are we hesitating while Jesus is telling us to go? Because there will be times in our life where we will come up with all the excuses and, and reasons why we can't go or shouldn't go, and we'll still hear that voice just tell us, go. I know that so well because I'll take us back again to the start of this church. God didn't necessarily answer all of Jeff Royce's objections to why I shouldn't start a church, but all I kept hearing was God say, go, go, just do it. And finally, I realized I was going to be disobedient to the call of God on my life if I didn't go. Are we hesitating when Jesus is telling us to go? And then Jesus says to Ananias, this man is my choice. Don't miss that. That's really what it means to be my chosen instrument. My choice. 
Not your choice, not somebody else's choice, but he's my choice. You know what's really cool? Every last one of you in this room and those of you that are Christians watching by live stream this morning, if you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you know that God says the same thing about you. You're his choice. Why? Because just like God has a calling for Paul, God has a calling for you too. Just as God formed Jeremiah and even had a purpose and plan and calling in mind for Jeremiah before he was born, Paul said the same thing in Galatians 1.15. He said, God set me apart in my mother's womb. Paul recognized that after he came to a consciousness of who Jesus was and the calling that God had. I was like, my choice. Don't ever forget that not only does God love you, but he is you are his choice for some specific, significant, special purpose in this world. You're his choice. Why do we know that? Because as we've studied this Call of God series, he created you a certain way with certain gifts, talents, abilities, temperament, and all that. And now he's going to connect you not only to himself, but to a certain few other strategic people to be able to carry out that calling and be encouraged and supported in that calling. And God has you as his choice. Man, if that doesn't get you to leave your house every day with your head held high, I'm God's choice. I'm not only God's child through the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm God's choice. He's chosen me. Now, the calling that he had for Paul was this. You are my chosen instrument. He is to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the people of Israel. And by the way, just like with us, God knew what he was doing when he chose Paul because Paul had all the stuff from his own childhood and experiences and education to be able to carry out the call of God along with the gifts and talents and abilities that God gave him. Let's not forget something. Paul was a Jew by birth, so he could connect to the Jewish people. He had, obviously, he was steeped. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was trained in all that. So he had that aspect, but he was also a citizen of Rome, which gave him access to the entire Roman Empire to be able to do the travels and missionary work that he did. And oh, by the way, he was educated as a Greek, so he could not only speak Greek, but he understood also the Greek mind. And obviously then, too, he was a child of God by grace. God, God had it all worked out. See, again, God doesn't do anything unintentionally or accidentally or haphazardly or by accident. God is very intentional about his choice, which is why he's very intentional about his choice of you for certain things throughout your life and my life. So we need to ask this question. What calling has God chosen for you? What calling has God chosen for you and for me? And then finally, verse 17, after Paul's conversion where we see a change and we see a consciousness and we see connections and we see a calling we see a commission. And this is where we get to the anointing part. Because what did God want Ananias to do? Verse 17, Ananias departed 
entered the house, placed his hands on Saul, and said, first of all, Brother Saul. I don't think we can even begin to imagine what that did to the heart of Saul. I hated you people. I hated you people. I threw you into jail. I had you all killed. And you're willing now to call me your brother. That's love. And the only way we love others that way, especially those maybe who once caused us a lot of pain or those we knew a lot of pain, is when you and I have the love of God flowing through us and in us. And Ananias did because he was willing, like God, to put all of Paul's past in the past and say, I'm not treating you as an enemy anymore. I'm treating you as my brother in Christ. Come. And then the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came here, has sent me not only that you may see again, but that you may be filled with the Holy Spirit, because that's key to us fulfilling our calling. We've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit every day. And let's be reminded of something. We increase our spiritual strength, not by getting more of the Spirit, because we get all the Spirit when we are saved. It's we let the Spirit get more of us. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Surrender to the Spirit equals supernatural strength from God. So Ananias is there to lay his hands on Paul, anoint him, if you will, commission him. Basically, he's saying, I am just God's servant here to acknowledge that you have a calling and that we're going to, as God's people, surround you support you, envelop you, rally around you. You're not going to do this alone. We're going to be with you, and the Lord obviously is going to be with you because as you now can see again through the laying on of my hands and not only have physical sight, you're going to have spiritual sight and you're going to have spiritual strength because now you're going to also be filled with the Holy Spirit. Go, Paul, fulfill your calling. Some of you here today, through this Call of God series, may feel God tugging on your heart. Maybe it's just for the first time in your life. Maybe you're totally making yourself available to God, but you don't yet know specifically what that call is. Or maybe you know what God wants you to do next, and, and you just want to know, that, that uh, have that reassurance and reaffirmation that God is with you and that your brothers and sisters are with you too. Just like it happened with Paul when Ananias was sent by God. There was nothing special about Ananias, just as there's nothing special about me. I'm just going to stand before you today, and for those of you that want, I, I will anoint you with oil. Just, again, reaffirming and reassuring you, whatever you know God is leading you to do at this moment, and maybe God has been moving in your life through this Call of God series, God will be with you as you allow his spirit to fill you, enabling you to do whatever God is asking you to do and will be with you too. You will not be in this alone, but we will come around you. We will gather around you. We will rally around you. We will envelop you. We will support you. We will encourage you in any way 
way that we can as your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what we're going to do here today. So let's stand. And I'm going to close in prayer at this time. Our worship team is going to get set. As we begin to sing this last song, any of you that would like to be anointed this morning, just, just form a line down this center aisle or come in through the sides. We'll make sure that anyone that wants to be anointed here today gets anointed before we leave here today. Those of you that may not feel impressed today to come and get an anointing, that's great. Here's what I'd like to encourage you to do. Sing your hearts out so that those who are coming to get anointed sort of even feel that support as you and I sing around them and, and pray around them as they come to be anointed today and be filled with the Holy Spirit. God, we pray today that you will work and do what only you can do, God, that your spirit would be here in a mighty and strong way, very evident, God, and that your people would be lifted up and renewed and refreshed in whatever God you have for them today. Whatever calling, God, whatever you're moving, whatever you're working, whatever you're doing in their life, God, may they know that you will be with them and that their brothers and sisters will be with them too as this anointing takes place. And God, maybe there's many here today that that's not where they're at right now. That's great. That's fine. We don't all work on the same timetable. But God, may we then be here to lift up you in praise and to declare into this room that it's only through you, Jesus, that we live and move and have our being. So God, go with us into this time of worship and this time of anointing here at the Oasis this morning. Would you use it as a marker as, as a standing stone in many people's lives here today, whether they come to be anointed or they don't come to be anointed, God, would you use this day as a marker in our lives, God? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.